And as you're finding your place there, I recognize that something is already happening. As I stand before you and speak this morning, many of you already have something else on your mind. You've already started checking out from the message. You may be even sick this morning because you're thinking about something else that is weighing on you. Oftentimes I can stand up here and I can see it in your faces. You're already thinking about something else. You're thinking about the dreaded Monday morning. You, you, you've already got Monday morning on your mind, and, and you're thinking about your job and the to-do list and maybe even the suffering that comes with it. Today, I'm calling each of us to a different kind of Monday. You see, I've been where you are. I'm not going to say I'm not now at times that way, but at one time, my Monday was on Wednesday afternoons. I had a job which kept me up at night. It, uh, I worried about it so much that I would get sick and spend most of my two days in the bathroom. Um, I, it, it was the kind of job that my wife begged me to quit because she wanted her husband back. I, I've been where you are. I've had the job that it just seems so overwhelming. Now, I have to admit, I'd never want that job back. But I also have to admit that there was something more than that job that was the problem. You see, my biggest problem wasn't my job, it was my heart. My biggest problem wasn't the, the um, dangerous work environment, it wasn't no rewards and no recognition, it wasn't the long hours and the sleepless nights. My biggest problem was what was revealed from all of those things in my heart. All of those things revealed something to me. They revealed to me a heart that was seeking something other than what it should have been. It, it, was, seeking, uh, it was seeking just the money to support us. It was seeking um, just the recognition of, of doing what I should. It was seeking just to have a job. Peter tells us in this passage something that could revolutionize our work something that could transform our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, whatever day it is that you go to work. It could transform that. Peter calls us to work in fear. Not fear of losing our job or our money or our position, but fear of the Lord. And as you hear me read this passage this morning, I want you all to, to think about how this speaks to you, because we got to be honest, as I look across this room, each of you have a different Monday morning. Maybe it's not to go to a nine to five. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's to go to the hay field or to go to the office, or maybe it's to, to care for those that you love, or, or maybe it's to um, merely make it through the week. But all of us have those things that we dread, and this passage is seeking to transform our hearts. So as, as with those things being said, read along with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for where you were stra- for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter this morning is calling us to a different kind of Monday, and in doing so, I pray that you get this call on Monday morning. That as your alarm clock goes off, or as the rooster crows, or whatever it is that wakes you up, that these, this passage would ring in our ears. That, that these truths would ring in our ears. That we would hear, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust. Now, anytime we have to admit, anytime we see a passage like this, it may cause us to question the Scripture's stance on slavery. Because where it says servant, that's where our modern translations are trying to, to make things um, uh, smooth them out and make them less um, harsh. He's not speaking to a servant. He's speaking to a slave. And a slave during this time, we can't import everything that we know about American slavery into this passage. It was much different. Sometimes it was harsher. Sometimes it was less harsh. But regardless of the case, Peter is telling the slaves to respond to their masters in a certain way. And at no point in this passage does he tell masters to respect their slaves. So it can be very, become very tempting when we read passages this, like this to say, well, maybe slavery had a place in the Bible. And admitting that, we should also acknowledge that Peter is not trying to correct the social injustice of slavery. That's not his purpose of this book. Peter is trying to teach Christians to be Christians wherever they are. Peter's trying to teach Christians to be Christians wherever they are, regardless of the suffering they might experience, regardless of the struggles that they might face. He's calling them to be Christian, even in the harshest of circumstances, of slavery. So this is where he begins. He begins by addressing servants as they relate to their masters. And what does he call them to do? He calls them to submit or be subject to their masters with all respect. To be subject or, or submit to their masters literally with all fear. So, remember, once again, we've talked about submission and subjection several times. This means they're going to put themselves underneath the authority. They're going to live out underneath the authority of their master. Now, that's, that, hopefully by now that's not a difficult concept to get, but what we also see is he's telling them to do this with fear. Doesn't that seem kind of natural, that a slave would fear its master? That, I mean, doesn't that seem like, why should he tell them to do this? 
subject, uh, subject yourself or submit to yourself with all fear. Peter is not telling them to fear their master. In Peter, in 1 Peter, fear is used, the idea of fear is used in chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 2, verse 6, verse 14, and verse 16, and in this passage. And in every single instance, fear refers to God. Every instance, it refers to God. A matter of fact, in chapter 3, verse uh, 6 and verse 14, he tells them not to fear man. So when we come upon this passage and we see this, this subject yourself or submit yourself to your masters in all fear, it can become construed to think that it may be towards the master, but Peter never uses it that way. He's saying, submit to your masters in fear of the Lord. Submit to your master, submit to those who are in authority over you because you fear God. Now, this becomes even clearer as we go throughout the passage and see that he's talking about, for this is a gracious thing when one is mindful of God and does these things. Or um, in verse 20, uh, or uh, yes, verse 20, uh, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He has God in mind here. How are they living before God? So he tells them to submit in fear but not the kind of fear that you and I live out every day. Now, you and I live out fears every day when we go to work, right? If you have a, have a, have a, a job that you go to and you're not self-employed, you, even if you are self-employed, you have these fears of, well, what if I lose my job? What if the money goes away? What, what, what if I can't provide for my family the way I should? Or, or, or what if the, the sales go down? Or what if um, the rain doesn't come and the hay doesn't grow? Or maybe the rain keeps coming and I can't cut the hay. Whatever the, the, the experience is, we have these fears that control us and our work, whatever it is. And Peter is telling them, you should be afraid. You should live in fear, but not fear of all these circumstances. Fear of the one who is in control of all things, and we should submit to our authorities as such. Now that seems all good, but Peter knows the humankind, and he knows you and I. And the moment we hear, you should submit to your authorities, you're like, I agree, that's great. You know, except for that one guy, because he doesn't treat me right. So I don't have to do that, because he doesn't treat me the way I should. Or, or, except for in those one circumstances, because they're really difficult. So I, sh- I should submit in that circumstance um, if it was easy, but it's not. It's really difficult. So I'm not going to submit to authority in that case. We, you and I are, are we're prone, we're, we are just like the people of Israel, prone to make excuse, Right? There's a caveat for every command because we want out of it when it's uncomfortable. Peter says here, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Literally, the, the word unjust is ungood, the, the, the non-good ones. Not only to the good ones, but the non-good ones. So whichever extreme you go to, whether they're great, the best boss you've ever had, or the worst boss you've ever had, this command applies to us. And so we see these things, and, and it, should, 
It should mean something for you and I as we, as we get this. It should mean that we can't water down things. It should mean that we can't work our way around and, and look for the fine print to try to get around these things. The command includes all of us. It includes each of us. And as we think about these things and, and examine these things, we have to think about how we are living out our jobs, whatever they are. Maybe our job is merely caring for our house. While we may not have an unjust work or an unjust boss, the environment sure can seem cruel, can it? When things break down and tear down and always at the perfect moment, right? Always at the perfect moment. It's just like VBS. You know, we're excited. We get everything going. We come in here on Monday night and there's no sound system. You know, that's, that's how our work environments go. You know, there, there is, there is we, we, you do everything to, to plan and prepare and, and, and do things, and then you have these unjust circumstances, these things that weigh on us. He's saying, regardless of the fact, we have to live in a particular kind of way. We have to work in a particular kind of way, and that's with God in mind, being submitting in fear of God. So how do these things compare to our Monday mornings? As you think through the command to submit, how do you measure up? Have you been making excuses? Have you been living in fear of all the other things but not God? Peter calls us to something extremely different. He calls us to something different, not just in the fact that he calls us to submit even when it's hard, but he calls us to something different because of the reason, the motivation for our submitting. I respect my grandfathers dearly. And as I think about their generation, I can remember my, my grandfather telling, um, telling some of my cousins, I can remember sitting there and him in his recliner telling them, them being like, well, I don't know where I want to work or what I want to do when I grow up. And him saying, it doesn't matter, just go get a job. That's just what you do. And there's something to be admired of men who just go get a job and and support their families. There is something to be admired there. But Peter says there's even something more admirable. And that's someone who goes and gets a job, works hard, even if it's a horrible job, because they love God. Because they fear Him. Notice his reasoning in verses 19 through 20. God calls them to do work to please the Lord, not our bosses. This is a Monday morning reason. Look at verses 19 through 20. It says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in God's sight. I find it funny. Peter has a little bit of humor here, so feel free to, to acknowledge that. He says, what credit is it if you are a horrible employee and get beaten for it? It, it is not righteousness to get fired for poor work ethic. That, that is not something to be praised. Well, you know what? They just fired me, and you know God's going to be with me. That may be true, but many men live in in a reckless way and regard their suffering as some kind of badge of honor. It is no credit to accept 
just punishment. We cannot spiritualize the consequences for our disobedient living. We, we can't do that. He's saying, what sense does that make? How are you any different than anybody else? Remember, Peter's trying to tell them how they're different from the culture around them. How does that make you any different when you sin, you mess up, you, you're lazy, and you, get, and you get canned for it? How is that any different than anybody else? But, but, notice what he says. There's, there's, a, there's a clause here. There is something that is different. There is something that is different, and that is the one who does good and suffers for it and endures that. The one who does good, who is at work early every time, the one who, who goes above and beyond the call to do those things, the one who, who has the best of intentions, the one who seeks to never complain, the, the best employee, and they suffer that, that, that is what he's talking about. The one who, who does what they're supposed to, and they have to endure suffering because of it. They have to endure that. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? Because in our day and age, we think, in this current age, people think that if my, my job's difficult, I'll get a new one. I'll just leave this one and go get a new one. And you know what? There are many pros to being able to, um, uh, to, to living in this economy. We live in a supply and demand economy. There are many pros to that. But on the other side, there is something admirable about the man who works 45 years at the same job, plowing away, even though it's difficult. I, I mean, I've talked to many of the men in here who they take great deal of pride in the things that they have accomplished through their work. He... he He's saying, there's credit to be found here. What kind of credit is found? Is it a reward? Is it higher pay? Is it better a position? What kind of reward is found in this place? The one who endures suffering for doing good. Notice what he says there in verse uh, 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. He says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is great, a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The credit to be found for enduring suffering is not found in earthly rewards, but it's found in God's favor. It's found in in God's favor. When we suffer and endure and, and, and and we think about how we're doing this unto God, this is to our credit. It, it's, it's bestowing God's favor upon us. Now, how many of us have ever thought about suffering as God's favor on us? You won't hear that in modern-day modern pre- television preaching. Suffering is never considered a positive. But Jesus says, if you wish to come after me, pick up your cross and follow after me. He says, I have no place to lay my head. He says, if they, if they come, if they treat me this way, how much worse do you think they're going to treat you? Jesus is very clear. His disciples will suffer. Those who follow him will suffer. But notice, when we suffer and endure it for God's sake, 
we find favor in God's eyes. There's favor to be found there. This is a gracious thing in God's sight. This is what it means to live before the audience of one. He is the one to whom we seek to please. He is the one to whom we we live and we look to because we desire His favor. We want to live in His graces. That's why the verse begins in verse 19 with, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. When mindful of God, with God in our mind, Peter calls us to live before God when we live in the presence of men. Let me explain it to you this way. Have you ever noticed a group of kids, and maybe they're playing t-ball, or, or, or they have an activity that they're trying to accomplish, right? And, and, and so they're with their friends. They're, they're hanging out with them, and, you know, they've got the plan, and they're sitting on the benches, and they're wiggling, and, and, and you know, or maybe sitting in the grass, pulling grass up, or whatever, you know. But, but they're with their friends. But, but notice when that child hits the ball. They, they, they make contact with that ball. What's the first thing they do? Where's dad? Where's mom? They don't look at first base. No, they, they're looking at, at dad or mom. What, why are they looking at dad and mom? While they may enjoy playing with their friends, the approval that they're seeking is their parents. While they may be doing things with other people, the one they want watching is mom and dad. They want their parents watching them. This is what he's calling us to. He's calling us to, yes, we may be doing all kinds of things in the presence of men, but the person we want watching us, the person we want paying attention to us, is our Heavenly Father. We want His eye upon us while we work. Whether it's hard or difficult or or unjust, we want our Father who is in heaven to see our diligence. So consider the life, your life. Have, have you tried to pass your deserved sufferings off as righteousness? Maybe you haven't. But how often do we look to God and seek His approval for how we work? How often do we work as though we are working unto the Lord and not to ourselves. Now, I know that may seem normal or, or common sense, but when we leave this room and we hear that alarm on Monday morning, it's, it's like we switch our switch, a switch goes off in our mind. And, and no, God is no longer in view here. Now, now I have these tasks at hand. Now I have these, these people who are who are rude and arrogant at hand. And I am no longer mindful of them. I just want them to get what they deserve. And maybe I'm going to execute it. Maybe I will be God's right hand of wrath, right? And, and, and carry it out on, on my behalf, because God, he's really struggling. We saw how well that worked out for Abraham, right? He tried to take things into his own hand and um, ended up with, an illegitimate child, and um, a war that now separates um, many people. It doesn't work when we take things into our own hand, but he's calling us, how are we living? Are we living for God's sake? 
Are, are we living with God in mind, or are we trying to take things into our own hands? Peter calls us to a different he calls us to he gives us a Monday morning call, a Monday morning reason, and he gives us a Monday morning template. Peter gives us a Monday morning template. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with computers, a template may not uh, not be as familiar. But for for everyone else, a template is the thing that you you know it gives you the form and you plug in what you're supposed to put in place. You you just fill it out so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like telling our children to write a letter A. We don't just tell them to write a letter A. We show them how to do it, right? We show them what an A is supposed to look like, and they follow that example. Peter gives us that template. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what suffering un- us unjustly is supposed to look like. And verses 21 through 25, and I, I didn't put all this on the screen just because it wouldn't fit, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to look there, but 21 through 25, it says, For to this you have been called. It's not just pastors that have a calling. The people of God have a calling. This is to what they have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. As we look at this template, notice Christ also suffered for you. How many times when we're suffering do we think we're all alone? Am I the only one? Oftentimes when we're suffering, we think, I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. I'm the only one going through this. No one else has experienced this, or no one else is currently going through this. Peter says, just in case you're thinking about that, Christ also suffered for you. In other words, Christ was there first. It's not new. Christ has been suffering. He he has been tempted and tried in every way that you are. He he suffered as well. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. What did Christ's suffering do? Well, it did a lot of things, but one of them was to leave us an example so that we might follow in his footsteps. The idea here is that of a um, child who traces the dotted lines to learn his alphabet. That's, that's the, the idea of this, of this following a pattern here, this leaving you an example, this following a pattern kind of idea. When, when, we, when we teach our children to write, we, 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 we use pencils, right, with the dotted lines, or, or maybe in, in modern day, we have, a, we have an app on the iPad that that the children can, you know, from a very young age, they can trace and it does all kind of animations. But the theme is the same. There's a pattern. And they, and they do that over and over again. And eventually, they learn what an A looks like, right? And then they, once they master that, they move on to a B. And then, and, and then a C. And slowly but surely, they learn 
all 26 letters, and then they've got to go, and now they've got to do the lowercase, right? You know, and this is this, it's this pattern, right? They're following these patterns. We're giving them something to trace. Christ is giving us something to trace. As we suffer, we're merely following the dotted lines that Christ put before us. We're, we, we, are, we are following the lines, that we are following the trail that Christ has blazed. Just simply tracing the line. Too many times we want to go rogue in our suffering. We, we want to, heck with the lines, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to make it through this suffering my own way. He's calling us to look at Christ as our example. So let's examine the dotted lines that Christ leaves for us. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's a hard line to trace. He committed no sin. He is being sinned against, but he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't try to talk his way out of it. There was no sin in his mouth. The sin of others didn't push him to mouth off. No, keep going. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't come to his own defense. He, he, didn't, he didn't try to take things into his own hands. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Christ had the power to say, you think you're going to do that to me? My Father created the universe. Right? That was, that's what we want to do, right? We, we want to say, oh, that's the best you have to offer? Uh, God, strike him down. Lightning from heaven, right? There, that, that's the kind of attitude that we would have. Christ, he, he didn't mouth off. He didn't threaten them. Instead, what does he do? We're still tra tracing these lines. Instead, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And trusting means that he handed himself over to God. He handed his problems over to God. How many times do we take our suffering into our own hands? We, we want to make it about us. What can I do to get over this? How can I fix it? I mean, that, the moment I see a problem, that's the first thing I want to do is, well, what do I need to do? Men, you know you all are the same way. You get in trouble for it all the time, right? What, what do we need to do? How are we going to fix this? Just immediately to the fixing the problem. Jesus says... That, or Peter says that Christ set this example for us by entrusting, by handing it over, rather than taking it into his own hands, handing it over to God who judges justly. Handing it over. Are you handing over the, thing, the suffering that you're having to God? Are you giving it to him to handle? Or are we trying to execute our own justice? Christ gives us a difficult dotted line to practice. But you know what? We have our entire lives to do that. It's not something that we will master in this life. We will continue when we suffer to have to trace those lines. We will have to continue to practice what it looks like to not take things into our own hands, to not revile, to not mouth off, to, to, to not threaten but to trust God that he has things under control.
We are going to have to continue to practice those things until our dying day. But you know what? There's hope. There's hope because Christ did some things that we can follow, but he did some things that we can't. Christ gave us some examples to follow, but, but he also gave us some, some, uh, some things that we can't do on our own. Notice what it says as we continue in those verses. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Could we have done that? We could, we could only bear our own sins. We could never bear the sins of another. Why? Because we have enough sins of our own. But Christ bore our sins on a tree. He bore them on a tree. And I don't have time to go into all this, but this is a a reference back to the law that the man that is hung on a tree is cursed. Christ was cursed on our behalf. And, And what does that do for us? It enables us to die to sin and live to righteousness. It enables us to no longer come to our own defense, but live in a godly way under difficult times. It enables us to do something that unbelievers can't do. It enables us to look different. It enables us to be different. It enables us to want something different. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... Or Sorry, wrong place. All right. By his wounds, you have been healed. We can't do that. Your wounds cannot heal another's. Your wounds cannot fix those problems, but by his wounds, he has healed us. Healed us from from what? From straying like sheep. From taking, from, from leaving and doing the hard thing to, to taking the easy route. He has prevented us from, from doing these things. He has protected us from this. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the overseer or the Lord of your souls. The one who is in charge of you. He, we can't do these things. But these are the things that Christ did on our behalf so that you and I can trace the dotted line, so that you and I can follow Christ's example when we are sinned against. Just by show of hands, how many of you have been sinned against this week? Oh, not very many, okay. We've all been sinned against this week. The question is not when are we going to be sinned against, the question is how are we going to respond when we're sinned against? How are we going to respond in those moments? Are we going to follow this pattern? Are we going to try to blaze our own trail and take things into our own hands? This week, as you begin your Monday morning, we have to think through these things. Think through, am I going to follow Christ in this? How well am I suffering compared to Christ? The answer is, all of us have fallen short. But what areas can we work on? What areas can we work on when we are sinned against? How can we be different in our Mondays? How can we be different throughout our week? So, as we think through these things, I want to call you to ask, what is your Monday going to look like? What's your Monday going to look like? 
many of us don't know. We, we, we don't know what's in store for us. But we can't wait until the difficult time comes to prepare for it. We, we can't wait till Monday comes and we've, we're sinned against it. 8 o'clock on Monday morning when we walk through the door and figure out then how we're going to handle it. We start, need to start preparing our hearts now for what's going to happen when we're sinned against this week. What's going to happen when we, when we um, encounter unjust treatment? So here's, here's three things I want you to acknowledge this week as you begin preparing your mind for as you prepare for tomorrow. Every believer, or we need to begin by acknowledging the call. Acknowledge the call. Every believer has been called to work as unto the Lord in everything. That is your calling for tomorrow. That's your calling for today. Second, acknowledge the place. You are not working in isolation. You are working in the presence of God. You are working before the eyes of God. That's why Colossians 3, 22 through 25 says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Paul agrees with Peter and says, there is something else. We need to acknowledge our place is before God. Acknowledge our place. Third, acknowledge our example. Stop comparing yourself to those who are around you at work. Yeah, but I wasn't like... Yeah, but I didn't. That's not our example. That's not our plumb line. You builders in the room, if, if you used a plumb line to build something and that plumb line was off, even by a, a fraction, how's that going to impact the rest of the building? So often we have a plumb line of other people. You know what? Other people are already off. Amen, right? You could have laughed there, okay? Uh, they're already off. And if we begin comparing ourselves to other individuals, we've already started on the wrong foot. We need to begin our Monday by, by acknowledging our example is not other people, but Christ. Whether it's in the shop, in the office, in the field, in our homes, wherever it is that we go and we labor this week, Christ is our standard. Look to Jesus. With that in mind, bow with me in prayer.